two of the most difficult sentences for human beings to speak are, I was wrong and I'm sorry. And so, you know, once you go down this path of having to uh, defend yourself, of having to defend your Trump it, or defend Trump, it becomes very difficult to pivot six months in, six years in, whatever it is, to suddenly say, my bad. You know, all, the, all those times I was being a, you know, a complete jerk about this stuff, I was wrong, you were right. And welcome to the Politics Girl podcast. I'm your host, Lee McGowan. Let's get into it. Today's pod is a candid conversation with Nick Carmody, psychotherapist, lawyer, and executive board member for the World Mental Health Coalition. Nick is a survivor of not one, but two traumatic brain injuries, which inspired him to go back to school to better understand the brain and how it affects our functioning, personality, and emotional processing. After getting his master's in psychology, he started to look at politics and how politics affects the personality of the country. If there is already political science, he believes we should have political psychology. I'm having him on today to discuss what's going on with the Republican Party from a psychological perspective and how the cult of personality has transformed the party into a tribe who are essentially devoted to Trump and Trumpism, no matter how much damage they do to themselves or to the country. Nick gives us insight into the human instinct behind Trumpism, which we're going to need as we go head to head with this group for the soul of the nation. And for those of you listening, I just want to apologize for my voice. I know I sound like a little but that's because I'm getting over COVID and this is the way it is. It might sound a bit wonky, but the context of the podcast will be incredibly clear. So without further ado, please welcome my guest, psychotherapist, lawyer, and executive board member for the World Mental Health Coalition, Nick Carmody. Welcome, Nick. Thank you, Leah. I appreciate being here. Well, thank you for joining me. I've been following your work for a while, and you have such a unique way of looking at the country from a mental health perspective. As a psychotherapist and as a board member of the World Mental Health Coalition, who I believe their goal is to educate and empower the public and policymakers against dangerous political leadership, you must be having a professional field day with this rise of authoritarianism in America. Well, I just recently joined in June. Um, it's Bandy Lee is the president of that. Uh, Ruth Bendyad is on, is on there. And uh, it was an honor just to be considered to be invited on that, let alone to be brought on. And so I, I'm just kind of getting my feet wet with that. But uh, in addition to uh, trying to warn the world or the country about pathology and leadership, uh, one of the goals that we're trying to transition to is basically trying to heal the country. I mean, we've kind of already got to that point where, the, you know, the warning is already understood. We see what's going on. Um, it's pretty self-evident. Uh, now, at this point, it's, well, you know, what do we do about it? You know, how, how do we fix this? How do we deal with the, the division, the antagonism? Um, and, uh, you know, hopefully the, uh, try to avoid uh, political violence, because as we've seen the last couple of days with the FBI raid of Mar-a-Lago, um, the political, the, the, the violent rhetoric has really amped up. Yeah, no, it really has. I mean, the call for civil war is all over the place right now. It's bananas. It's people are just dying to use their guns. So let's talk about the most recent news. You know, the FBI and the Justice Department has a warrant to search Mar-a-Lago and the right is absolutely losing their minds, right? That it's some deep state witch hunt when it's simply just democracy and justice in action. I believe you don't become the first FBI director, the first attorney general, and the first federal judge in our nation's history to grant a search and seizure warrant for the home of a former president unless you've seen rock solid proof, right? So no matter what we hear the Republicans and the right wing pundits saying on television, there is just absolutely no way these people went off half cocked, right? Legal experts are being being very clear. There is not a soul, not even 
the most liberal judge, and in this case it was a Trump-appointed judge, who would sign off on a search of a former private residence of uh, a president without absolutely solid proof that crimes had taken place or were taking place right now. So we have these Trump Republicans in complete denial, some refusing to believe there was an actual search, some thinking it's a witch hunt. The new one is that the FBI is there to plant evidence, right? But it's all about this deep state that's hell-bent on taking their savior down. The GOP judiciary tweeted that if they can do this to a former president, imagine what they can do to you. Dan Bongino was just on Fox News saying that this is some third world bullshit. They're out here talking about Hillary Clinton and Hunter Biden, who they very clearly want to lock up without any proof of a crime. They're threatening Merrick Garland um, with arrest and congressional subpoenas for doing his job. They're attacking the FBI itself as corrupt. They're asking to um, defund the FBI. And yet the head of the FBI is a Trump appointee and clearly not some left-wing zealot. The right-wing media and the far-right GOP are selling this like it is some kind of monstrous overstep when this is literally the perfect example of how justice is supposed to work in a democracy. So the projection here is astounding. But as we start to see the wheels of justice turning, you've been very clear that holding Trump accountable isn't going to change the mind of most of his supporters, even if we see smoking gun evidence. So can you talk me through that psychologically? Let me see if I can back up. I mean, there was a lot there that you mentioned. I think, you know, first and foremost, we're at a really dangerous place uh, as a a country where um, one political party thinks that every election that they lose is fixed and every investigation uh, against somebody in their tribe is a witch hunt or a hoax. And, uh, you know, that's that's a really dangerous place to be where we can't accept any outcome unless we win and we don't accept any investigation unless it's happening to the other guy. Right. Um, and it's just impossible to, uh, to function and maybe impossible to survive as a country. Um, you know, another part of it too, and, th- and this is something that, you know, that, that just a, as a society in general is we know very little about this investigation. And unfortunately, you know, everybody rushes to, to you know, it's, it's like the Dunning-Kruger effect where everybody rushes. The, more, the less we know about something, the more confident we feel about speaking about something authoritatively. We don't know a damn thing about this, damn. I mean, we can we can speculate that because that, as, as you point, you laid it out. That's how the justice system works. So we can assume that that's happening. Um, but we, without even making assumptions, it, it's incredibly irresponsible and dangerous to, uh, without knowing anything about this investigation, to immediately demagogue and to immediately uh, propagandize uh, what's going on with this investigation. Because, you know, what if Trump, what what if there is smoking gun evidence that Trump was handing off classified information to some foreign foreign adversary? We we don't know that, you know, and, but, you know, if we're starting from the the starting point is immediately it's a hoax or it's a witch hunt, um, you know, it's, it's hard to walk that back because, Two of the most difficult sentences for the, for human beings to speak are "I was wrong" and "I'm sorry," and so you know what what ha- you know what, a lot of what happens with with Trumpism is that I think initially for uh, there were a lot of people who didn't vote for Trump they voted against Hillary right and when their vote for Hillary became an indictment of their morality because of Trump's lack of morality they suddenly became very you know motivated to exonerate themselves to exonerate their morality. And one of the ways to do that was they could exonerate themselves by exonerating Trump. Well, where are you going to find Trump's exoneration? Well, you're going to find it on Bannon. You're going to find it on Rush Limbaugh. You're going to find it on Fox News. You're going to find it on OAN. And so confirmation bias kicks in. In this case, 
the bias is I'm a good person, right? I didn't vote for a bad guy. I voted for what I thought was a bad woman against Hillary Clinton. And so I, I need to exonerate myself. I need to, to confirm the bias that I'm a good person. And so I'm going to seek out bias confirming news sources to tell me that I'm a good person. And in order to do that, they're going to be telling me that Trump is either a good guy or he's not a bad guy or he's innocent of all these other things. And so, you know, once you go down this path of having to uh, defend yourself, of having to defend your Trump it, or defend Trump, it becomes very difficult to pivot six months in, a year in, a year and a half in, two years in, six years in, whatever it is, after you've been standing by this guy every, you know, every step of the way, arguing with your, you know, your, your liberal um, niece, you know, who's, who's in college or arguing with a, a sibling or arguing, you know, with your friend, you know, from high school or whatever it is to suddenly say, my bad, you know, all, the, all those times I was being, a, you know, a complete, you know, jerk about this stuff. I was wrong. You were right. People, you know, people, it's difficult for people to do that. And so, you know, it's the farther you get, you, you, you know, the more off ramps that you pass up, the more difficult it is to finally take an off ramp because, you know, we, we are invested with our ego. We are invested with our identity. Um, you know, there's there's uh, research that has shown fMRI research that has shown that the same areas of the brain that light up when we experience physical pain will also light up when we experience social isolation or exclusion. Right. And so what that will show is that, you know, it's you know, there's potentially a pain avoidance type uh, type of experience that occurs when we find ourselves disagreeing with or, or uh, pushing back against a, a, a group of people, a tribe. Uh, that we derive a sense of identity from or a sense of community from, whether that's a church, whether that's our, our family, because families may be, you know, if it's a family down south and everybody's conservative and you're the, you know, maybe you're not even a liberal, maybe you're just uh, uh, never Trump curious. Or, you know, it's difficult to now suddenly uh, express that and be ostracized by the family, or be ostracized by your church, or be ostracized by, you know, guys at the gym or, you know, whatever that sense of community or that particular group is, uh, it becomes very difficult. And it, it's much easier to remain um, comfortably wrong than to be uncomfortably right. Uh, if being com uh, uncomfortably right means that you have to either maybe experience this pain avoidance uh, uh, um, issue that's going on with the brain or being uncomfortably right means that you have to basically be excommunicated from a group, a group that you identify with, have a sense of community and maybe uh, derive your identity from. Right. You don't want to not be able to go to church because you don't agree with people. You don't want to not be able to hang out with your family. You don't want to not be able to go to your workplace if everyone's uh, feeling one way and you're the uh, you're the outsider. No one wants that. Um, but also, you know, these true believers, this behavior, this searching of Mar-a-Lago, it kind of further convinces them of what they believe to be true, right? If they think that there's some deep state witch hunt, and all of a sudden you have the FBI going into Trump's house um, or you have them prosecuting Trump for crimes, it can kind of convince them that they were right about the deep state to begin with, right? It's almost like their own confirmation bias that watching this happen, the rule of law happening is the proof that the deep state exists and is trying to shut down the guy who wants to break up the deep state, right? It's almost like self-prophesizing. Yeah, it, we're in a, you know, really, because of all the different dif disinformation and all of the conspiracy theories and the deep state stuff, the QAnon stuff, is that we're in a really weird position where the more we fix the problem, the worse it gets. Right? Yeah. The, more that we, the more that the criminal justice system and the rule of law um, progresses and deals with the problem, right, holds somebody accountable, 
the worse the problem gets because it's proof, uh, it, it, you know, it, it's proof on its face that the deep state exists because they're trying to take down Trump. And so, you know, it's it, it's almost an impossible, you know, it's an almost an impossible situation. And it was something I wrote the other day where we're basically as a country where, when you, you know, you're faced with two choices and neither one of them are good. The country may be damaged by not holding Trump accountable to avoid political violence. But at that point, you're undermining the rule of law or you're going to withhold the rule of law and you may potentially cause damage to the country because there's going to be political violence. And if the country's going to be damaged either way, then you do the right thing. You uphold the rule of law and you just deal with the consequences of it. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You can't we can't make these decisions. Um, As somebody cleverer than me said, the role of justice is not to change hearts and minds but to assign accountability to those who have violated our laws, which is why it's very essential with all the people that have been out here and a lot of left-wing people that have been out here saying, arrest Trump now, just get him, round up all these people, throw them in jail. And you're like, no, it is essential if we want to live in a country with a rule of law that we follow the law to such an extent that it is every I is dotted, every T is crossed because You can see right now, I mean, everyone saw Trump took a bunch of stuff that he shouldn't have taken, a bunch of state secrets to Mar-a-Lago. The FBI has already been to his residence before to collect a bunch of boxes that he shouldn't have taken. This is only the, this is the second time because they believe he held things back, that he still had things there. So we all know he has done this one crime. This has nothing to do with 1-6. It has nothing to do with trying to steal the election. It has nothing to do with the coup, nothing to do with tax evasion, nothing to do with shaking people down. This has to do with something we all know he did, which is take state secrets from the White House with him to his private residence when he left. So we have to follow the rule of law step by step by step because there is no other way for us as a country to live under the rule of law. So the people that are calling for Trump to be arrested, calling for this to happen, you have to be very, very careful because you can see right now, even this, which is the least political, all the people that have signed off are Trump appointees for the most part, aside from Merrick Garland, who has not shown himself to be some sort of left-wing zealot, but they're following the rule of law and it's still a witch hunt. It's still wrong. It's still FBI is is planting evidence. So that you can't win. So you have to follow the law exactly as it's meant to be, right? I think Jonathan Swift said, he's a, for those of you who don't know, he's a famous literary mind of the 17th century. He said, you cannot reason a person out of a position they did not reason themselves into in the first place, right? So we're not going to be able to convince people of one thing if they didn't use reason to get themselves in that position. This story isn't about the deep state. This story is about a former president who was and is a national security risk. You know, we all know he stole classified documents months ago, and I think they moved deliberately and diligently to get to where we were a couple of days ago, and we have to let um, justice play out no matter what comes of it, because that's how we function in a, a society that has laws. Yeah, it's, it, when we're facing you know, an authoritarian aspiring uh, movement, you know, it becomes very tempting to fight fire with fire yes. or to, you know, hey, you know, when we're, you know, when they're going low, we're going high and then they're kicking our ass. So we need to go low also, that type of mentality. But if, you know, if, if your concern is to, if your objective is to preserve democracy, to preserve the rule of law, and then you are um, adopting the opposite, you know, the, the rights tactics in order to preserve the rule of law or preserve uh, democracy, 
Well, by adopting rights tactics, tactics, you're not preserving democracy and rule of law. You're guaranteeing that it's going to it's going to disappear. Exactly. And so you have to you have to be really careful on, on process and how you handle all of those things. Uh, the other aspect of that is, you know, this is where you know it gets into some stuff I've written about uh, the weaponization of fear. But one of the things that we're seeing, and the right loves to do this, they you know they've uh, they, they they project a lot. They make a lot of accusations about. Uh, uh, authoritarian overreach with vaccine mandates. Um, you'll hear, you know, one of the things that we see is that when people are scared, they will basically in, in embrace an authoritarian movement in order to protect themselves and their tribe from the other tribe's authoritarian instincts. And so it basically becomes almost a, an authoritarian arms race or, you know, proliferation of authoritarianism where one side will, you know, it, it just becomes uh, you know, everybody's trying to one up the other side in order to protect themselves from the other, you know, the perceived authoritarianism of the other side. And what that does is, you know, we're just, you know, you're you're on, the, uh, you know, it's like going downhill without brakes towards an authoritarian uh, society. Absolutely. I mean, fear is a huge part of it, right? People are afraid in many ways their fear defines them, right? Fear of loss of status, fear of not measuring up, fear of the other, fear of losing a way of life, fear of losing their country. For the past decade, an entire group of people have been exploiting this fear into making a lot of Americans kind of exist in this extreme fight or flight response. And it plays into our politics. I mean, you've pointed out that People have been conditioned to live in a near constant state of hypervigilance, to see enemies everywhere, to see everything as a threat to their survival. And we know that when people are scared, they seek the safety and protection of others, what you call a tribe, right? And the more scared people are, the more they are willing to pay or sacrifice for their tribe's protection. I think you have said that in many cases, people have been willing to compromise their own values, their own morality to stay as part of the tribe. That's what you're talking about. People don't want to be ostracized from their church, from their workplace, from their friends, from their family. Um, what makes people do this? A lot of it is self-preservation, right? A lot of it is, you know, and one of the things we've seen, and I wrote something about this after the, um, it was the Patriot uh, Front Group. They were right. in that new hall going up to the... Um, the Pride Festival, and I wrote something just about um, uh, with uh, the need for purpose uh, and meaning. And one of the things we see a lot on the right is that they like to incorporate uh, children into a lot of the narratives, whether it's it's Pizzagate, whether it's mask mandates, whether it's vaccine mandates, whether it's uh, Disney, the grooming. Um, uh, you know, they because if you if you can basically frame the issue as one where you are protecting children, well, then basically anything that follows is justified because, you know, who, who will, who, you know, who will um, argue against or, you know, who will not support um, an action or a movement that protects children? And so it becomes an ends justifies the means type of scenario that basically you can justify almost anything, any type of action, um, if, if it falls under the guise of protecting kids. And so, you know, one of the things that we see a lot, um, um, and I, you know, Trump lost in 2020, Trump lost a lot of support with suburban um, moms, right, with suburban women. And so, you know, that's one of the reasons why we see a lot of the narratives circling around children, because that's one of the ways to bring back um, suburban moms and, and women back in for 2024, or 2022, is to make them believe that their kids are under threat, whether it's grooming, whether it's the trans stuff, whether, you know, CRT, uh, whatever. CRT, yeah, books, CRT, no, yeah book, book banning. Like 
And so, you know, that's one of the ways that, you know, that they, um, that they, they, they try to frame this. And there's been research that has shown um, that exposure to chronic stress and the chronic fear literally rewires the brain so that we, when we encounter a subsequent fearful or stressful uh, um, situation, we, re- we respond to it uh, with more intensity and for a longer duration. And, that, you know, when you see that happening over and over and over, we start to become irrational um, and almost disproportionately react um, with our, our fear response to, to the threat. And, you know, that becomes, you know, that, that be, definitely becomes a problem with, with our politics, because as we're talking about with political violence, when people um, feel threatened, they will either defend themselves, ultimately with violence, or they will seek out someone who will defend them. And, you know, we've seen this, um, you know, a lot of times people will defend the tribe who will defend them, right? We've seen pro-life uh, Christians who will defend Republicans and the NRA, even though it, it clearly um, goes against their, their pro-life and, and Christian values. However, who, you know, who, who are the people, who are the politicians, who are the tribe that's defending um, religious uh, freedom? Well, it's Republicans. So you make that trade that trade off and, you know, you basically, you know, the ends justifies the means. Well, we're, we're not, you know, we, we don't agree with maybe some of the gun laws. We don't agree with the lack of of, uh, of initiatives being taken to protect kids and school shootings. However, you know, that's this is the tribe that 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 protects us. So we're going to defend that tribe. Right. But also people are being told to be scared all the time. I mean, if you watch right wing media, you know, Tucker's out here saying, when they come for you and they will, this kind of stuff. And Republicans play into it by calling Democrats the enemy, the evil Democrats, you know, the the pro-life, and I use the term very loosely because they're not, they talk about baby killers. QAnon itself, right, is all into uh, people being pedophiles and monsters and, you know, this kind of thing. So this fear, people are scared because they've been conditioned to be scared, Right. And Absolutely. they're they're being told that because it works. Yes, it does work. And, you know, the other thing about and this goes back to the violence is that when you can dehumanize your enemy, it makes it much easier to commit atrocities or, or to be inhumane to that person because, right. they, you know, they're evil or, you know, they're they're pedophiles or whatever it may be. Um, and so that you know, that's, that's definitely a part of it for sure. Yeah, that's why this grooming talk around the LGBTQIA plus community or around the trans community is so dangerous because it dehumanizes those communities and paints them out as pedophiles and as groomers, which also takes away from real groomers who are out there actually grooming kids. Well, yeah, you know, one of the things when I, I was on the Lincoln Project podcast, that was one of the things I was talking about with regards to uh, you know finding um, purpose and meaning and trying to protect kids is that you know we don't see the Patriot Front showing up at NRA headquarters, right? When, when kids are getting shot up at schools, we don't see them showing up at Smith and Wesson's manufacturing plant um, after kids are getting shot up. We didn't see them. There was a recent uh, sex scandal with the Southern uh, Baptist church. I think it was, might be Russell Moore. He's a, uh, a preacher. I think he's been speaking out against this, uh, against uh, what's been going on with that. We don't see the Patriot Front, uh, you know, uh, um, protesting the, the Southern Baptist Church. We don't see them protesting the Catholic Church with all the stuff that they had going on for years. Uh, so, you know, it tends to be, you know, it tends to be very selective. It tends to be very targeted. Um, but as you said, it's very effective. Well, it's also, you know, you pick and choose when these problems are problems. You know, we are all law and order, all thin blue line, all, you know, back the blue until the FBI raids your savior's house. And then we are defund the FBI law, you know, the law is broken 
it only works if it works for them. And I think people have to start seeing that that's an impossible uh, position to live in. Well, it goes back to tribalism. I mean, we defend, we defend our tribe and our people at all costs, and we will def- or attack the other tribe and the other pe- people at all costs. The other, the other tribe can do no right. Um, and our tribe can do no wrong. And, you know, it's, it's just, it's such an absolute, um, you know, state of mind that we're in with tribalism that, it, you know, it's, it's just not sustainable. Now, a lot of people leading this charge to tribalism, to Trumpism, to authoritarianism, to the hate and fear of the other are what I would call small, scared little boys. Um, men that are basically posturing as alphas, if you believe in the alpha beta, um, concept, which I'm, I think is a destructive way of looking at the world. But if we want to talk about it as an alpha, um, we look at Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz and Lindsey Graham and Tucker Carlson and Nick Fuentes and Ben Shapiro. These are not alphas in the old school sense of the word. These are not men we would look to lead us. These are posturing bullies, kind of squishy little betas who are trying to convince themselves that they are alphas. And they're trying to function in a world of lying bullies like Trump and DeSantis. And as a previous guest of ours, Mark Green, recently said, this slide into extremism is the result of these weak, insecure men trying to outdo each other, right? Doubling down on sexist, racist, anti-Semitic, xenophobic rhetoric and to outman each other. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think, and this goes more, you know, beyond just the, um, you know, this the masculinity aspect of it is unfortunately right now, the incentive structure positively reinforces and rewards uh, division and antagonism, the, the tribalism, um, chaos. Um, and, and, you know, until that changes, it's difficult to see that whether it's Tucker Carlson or, or Bannon or, uh, you know, anybody else who, who's uh, very divisive changing. And, it, and it's, you know, unfortunately, it usually ends up being uh, uh, money that changes things, whether it's lawsuits or whether it's defamation suits or whether it's just tort liability um, or whether it's uh, advertisers, you know, no longer paying or, or cable channels no longer, you know, funding Fox, whatever it is, uh, because, you know, our society is so money based. Um, but, you know, right now for those guys, you know, that that's what gets them attention. That's what um that's what gets them, uh, you know, uh, people to pay attention to them. And, and, you know, as long as they are receiving, in some cases, you know, some of it is pathological, as long as they're receiving narcissistic supply for the things they're saying, for the things they're doing, they're going to continue to do it. Well, speaking of capitalism and a financially based society, we need to take a quick break to thank the sponsors who made this episode possible. We'll be right back after this with Nick Carmody. So a couple of years ago, I was feeling crappy all the time. I couldn't figure out what was wrong why I was feeling so droopy and tired. So I ordered the Everly Well food sensitivity test and got a full report on what foods did and didn't agree with my system. It really opened my eyes and helped make a better decision about what I put in my body and what my body could really process. What if you could use science to discover more about your health? With Everly Well, you can. Their at-home lab tests will help get the knowledge and support you need to become a healthier version of yourself. With over 30 tests to choose from, you'll be able to pick the test that makes the most sense for you to get the answers you need about the health you want. They have everything from the food sensitivity test I took to a woman's health test when you're experiencing symptoms but don't even know where to start. 
Everlywell ships their products straight to your door with everything you need in one package. You take your home lab test, collect your sample, use the included prepaid shipping label to mail the test back to a certified lab, and then your physician-reviewed results are sent straight to your phone or device in days. You can then share those results with your doctor to help guide the next step. It's so simple that over 1 million people have trusted Everlywell to support their health and wellness goals. And for listeners of this show, Everlywell is offering a special discount of 20% off an at-home lab test at everlywell.com slash politicsgirl. That's everlywell.com slash politicsgirl for 20% off your next home lab test. everlywell.com slash politicsgirl. Imagine having one extra day a week, more time to cook healthier meals, watch the movie you want, or spend more time with your family. ClickUp believes that's possible. ClickUp is a productivity platform that guarantees to save you one day a week of work. ClickUp began with the idea that productivity was broken, that there were too many tools to keep track of, too many things in separate ecosystems, and they believed there had to be a more productive way to get through your day. ClickUp is the one tool to house your tasks, projects, documents, goals, and spreadsheets. It's packed with features and customization options that no other productivity tool has, so you can work the way you work best. Whether you're in project management, engineering, sales, marketing, or HR, ClickUp has an easy-to-use solution that creates a more efficient work environment. Join the more than 800,000 highly productive teams using ClickUp today. Use code POLITICSGIRL to get 15% off ClickUp's massive unlimited plan for a year, which means you can start reclaiming your time for under $5 a month. Sign up today at clickup.com and use the code POLITICSGIRL at checkout. So I was recently in Toronto visiting my friends and family, and I only packed third love bras. The thing about a good bra is it makes you look good, it feels good, and you start to not want to wear anything else. And Third Love has a bra for every occasion. Their best-selling 24-7 t-shirt bra, their form wireless, their unlined bras, their strapless styles. They even have limited edition summer styles and colors to work with any outfit. And you might be thinking, uh, but Lee, I don't wear a bra. Well, someone in your life does. And I'm telling you that this company is for them to shop from. It doesn't dig. It doesn't pull. It comes in sizes A through H with Third Love's exclusive half cup sizes. Yeah, you heard me right. That is half cup sizes. And Third Love makes it easy to find a bra that actually fits with their fitting room quiz. The fitting room quiz is like a personal shopper, but better because you don't have to go anywhere and it's less embarrassing. It focuses on size, shape, fit issues, and helps you find the styles that are perfect for you. The fitting room quiz has helped over 18 million women find their true bra size. You could be next. And if you don't love your fit, exchanges and returns are free for 60 days. So give your boobs, or some boobs you know, the comfort and support they deserve. Upgrade your bras today and get 20% off your first order at thirdlove.com slash politicsgirl. That's 20% off at thirdlove.com slash politicsgirl. Let's talk a little bit about narcissism, right? I mean, it, that kind of falls into a lot of this work. And you've talked a lot about narcissism. You have a lot of personal experience with it as well. Narcissistic behaviors and religion and conspiracy theories, they're kind of parallel, right? We see the parallels between narcissists like Trump and what you call collective narcissism of groups like the evangelicals, where they feel like they are better and this self-righteousness um, that religion often provides for people um, is extremely attractive to people who view themselves with pathological levels of grandiose 
um, or superiority, this kind of all-knowing, all-powerful, godlike figure that religious people use, um, where they are the chosen people, um, also kind of fits into this all-knowing, godlike figure that Trump is. And they have a personal relationship with them, either a personal relationship with God because they're such a good person or a personal relationship with their savior, Donald Trump, because they have been supporting him the whole time. And they are literally singled out or favored by this person. And it's intoxicating to people, right? That there's like an us and them thing. We are favored. We are the favored group. And it makes it easier to understand how people can keep ignoring what's best for them, keep ignoring what's, you know, you keep thinking like, why do these people keep voting against their own best interests? Like, why do these people keep making decisions that are against their religion or against uh, what's best for them? And I think it comes back to this idea that they feel special, um, either chosen by God or chosen by Trump to support his way of being. And it's sort of a narcissistic way of looking at things that they are chosen and better and superior. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a lot a lot of what I've written about. Um, there's a lot there. I mean, I think it, as far as with Trump, I think for a lot of them, this is almost like an exchange that occurs that, you know, they kind of vicariously lived through his uh, larger than life um, presence and his, you know, kind of his grandiosity, um, you know, dating the, the, the supermodel and being, a, you know, allegedly a billionaire. Um, and, you know, in exchange for them kind of vicariously living through him, um, they kind of took on his his persecution narrative and his grievances. Um, so I, I so I think for them, you know, that was that was part of the draw, uh, you know, for a lot of his followers in that sense. Um, you know, as far as far as religion, you know, I try to be a little bit care, careful about it because obviously, you know, there's there's a whole spectrum of religion with religion, and, and not everybody falls into the same categories. But I think for you know for a lot of people, um, you know, re, or at least for narcissists, it, religion can be. Um, very appealing because there is that, you know, I have a personal relationship with um, an all-powerful, all-knowing um, deity, uh, or, you know, he, he carries favor on me, he looks after me. So I, I think there is, you know, there is a certain uh, gravitational pull um, for narcissists with religion. Um, well, I mean, I think religion fits into it, right? I mean, I, I think it has to. The religion definitely creates an us and them mentality. Right. Um, a lot of times we in life, we will define ourselves by an enemy. Um, and if we don't have an enemy and we, we, we need an enemy to define ourselves, um, you know, we will seek one out. And religion does provide a natural us versus them because it's believers versus non-believers. Um, the, the persecution narrative often runs through through many religions. You know, we, we've seen this and in, in even not just in religion, but if you look, look, at, look throughout history, we have often uh, as a society, we will create an enemy in order to kind of define ourselves as the good guys. And it doesn't even have to be a, a person. It can be, um, you know, we go to war on drugs, we go to war on poverty, we go to war on terror, we go to war, um, you know, on, on a lot of different things. And, you know, it, it, we almost, we're, all, we're kind of a society that, that needs to be at war with something or needs to have an enemy because um, it, it allows us to define ourselves, um, you know, respective to that, you know, to that, uh, to that enemy. And it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, a, other people or another group, but oftentimes it is. And it also makes us feel like we're on the right side of that war. We're the good guy, right? Which goes back to what you were saying before. People want to believe that they are a good person, um, that they they voted against Hillary because they thought she was the worst person. And now they need to double down on their support of Trump because it justifies how they feel about themselves. 
But there's definitely a whole group of people who believe that Trump is God's plan. And if Trump is God's plan, then they have to support it no matter how absurd it becomes, right? Religious people are by nature, and I'm saying this as someone who grew up in the church, already conditioned to believe things without proof and ignore truth uh, for faith. Um, and I feel like Trumpism itself is almost morphing into a religion um, where you have to believe the dogma, the on high leader, and things don't have to make sense. You just have to have faith and you just have to be there and be 100% supportive of it. Yeah, and that becomes difficult because, you know, it's, of course, um, you know, if, if people believe that God, you know, Trump is president because of God's will, well, then was, was Obama president because of God's will? You know, it goes back to that kind of that sele the selective perception of things. Right? Um, yeah. You know, of course, they're not thinking that way. But yeah, if, you know, if you believe that a leader was, it was handpicked by God, then, then there's nothing that he can do that you will criticize or abandon him for, because by doing so, you're, you know, you're, you're going against God's will. And that becomes, you know, I think it becomes a very dangerous mindset because there's, you know, there's no, there, there's no accountability. There's nothing that he can do wrong that will, you know, cause them to, to peel away from him. And I think it gives people a purpose. And I think people seek purpose. I think people are lost a bit in our society. We have let people down. We have left people behind. We've allowed capitalism to take over to the point of ignoring our people. And people seek purpose. And being a foot soldier in, you know, uh, Trump's revolution to save the country certainly has a lot more purpose than, you know, your regular nine to five job that you don't like that much and living in a, some house that you never really wanted to live in. It gives people more of a sense of who they are in the world. And it's hard to fight against that. Yeah, that was something I've written about, with, you know, with, as far as veterans coming back and why they're more susceptible to radicalization and extremism is that. You know, for a lot of these guys, you know, they were exposed to some of the best technology in the world. They were, you know, fighting wars. They were taking out bad guys. They were, you know, you know, defending the country, protecting the country. And, you know, too often, as we just saw with like the burn pit bill, you know, they come back and they're they're underappreciated. They're, uh, you know, their the healthcare isn't that good. Uh, we had 20, at least at one point, it was 22 suicides a day that were occurring from veterans. Um, a lot of them are, are homeless. Um, you know, they're living in isolation. They have, you know, PTSD, they have mental health problems. And, you know, when you go, you know, it's tough to, to peak in life when you're 18 or 22 years old or, uh, you know, whatever it may be. And now suddenly when you're in your thirties and you're, you know, you're, you're working a menial job and, and somebody comes up to you and, and they sell you, Hey, you know, the election's been stolen, you know, Hey soldier, we need you to, um, you know, to, to help us steal the election back. We need you to be part of our militia group. You know, we're going to, we, we got all these, you know, these grand plans. We're going to protect the country from, you know, the authoritarian left or whatever it may be. Well, that becomes a very appealing um, um, sales pitch to a guy who's, you know, maybe reading a barcode reader at Walmart and suddenly he can go and use his very unique skills that he was trained on and, and use, you know, very unique uh, technology or weapons or whatever it may be. And so that, you know, that's a, that's a very powerful um, pull for those, you know, for certain veterans, for certain people. I haven't seen any research on this, but I am curious to see um, as militias, um, militia groups have increased in uh, membership. If the number of suicides, daily uh, suicides for vets has, has actually decreased because I'm kind of a, a perverse way they're providing purpose and meaning for these for these vets to, to you know be, be part of a tribe or part of a community as we talked about earlier you know one of the things that you know that we're seeing is there's a little bit of a 
we're seeing kind of a realignment with, um, with the populism movement on the right. And, you know, for decades, it just goes back to capitalism, as you were saying, you know, for decades, Rush Limbaugh was telling people on the right to uh, defend the establishment, big business, big corporations, institutions. And so they did. And now Steve Bannon tells them, you know, to tear down everything they used to defend. And so they will. And even now, you know, we're seeing it. One of the big movements is, um, you know, they're anti-pharmaceutical. And pharmaceutical injury has a lot to be held accountable for, right? But it's been kind of politicized around um, the vaccines um, uh, during COVID, right? Uh, but one of the things that we- yeah, I would you know, say they're we, anti-science, not just anti-pharmaceutical. Oftentimes. But, you know, one of the things, you know, that I would say- it is, it's not, you know, it's not always black and white anti-science. It's a, um, at least from their perspective, it's a, uh, it's a, a different perspective on the science. Because you, you can run into a lot of people who are anti-COVID vaccines. And it's not that you're just anti-vaccines or anti-science. They, they, they will run through a litany of statistics of, on the vaccines and, and the, 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 the health issues that will happen. So it's not, like, it's not that they're necessarily against the science. They're, they're self-selecting. Right. They're, they're kind of selectively choosing which science or which studies or it doesn't even necessarily have to be certain studies to which they believe, because it's not necessarily being anti-science. It's being pro-science um, that aligns with their political tribalism. Yeah. Selectively choosing, which goes back to your concept of confirmation bias. You go with the information that uh, feeds what you already believe. Right. And similarly, with like the capitalism stuff. Is you know they you see a lot of people on the right who are you know they they are vehemently against um, the pharmaceutical industry because of the way that it has exploited um, society and people and yet they will still um, reflexively defend the fossil fuel, fuel industry that has also exploited um, society and, and, you know and people and the earth and again it's not necessarily because they're anti-capitalism or they've suddenly turned into you know Steve Bannon's um, the righteous indignation of the working class, because it's not consistent across the board that, you know, they will still defend, you know, certain biz big businesses or certain industries if it aligns, you know, again, aligns with the tribalism of their political beliefs. Right. And Steve Bannon is a Leninist who wants it all to burn anyway. So <laughs> let's maybe not follow him. Um, you've said that the biggest question is how do we fix this? And it's the most important question that we face as a country. So in your opinion, how do we fix this? And this goes back to I think what I, you know what I said earlier, and it, you know it's it's difficult. It, it is super complex. You know I have people in my personal life that um, you know that I care about and that, that I love who <laughs> we we don't see eye to eye. You know they 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 think that I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. That you know my work is sucks. It's awful, and we have uh, you know we have really toxic uh, arguments about this stuff, and it's really difficult um, to see. You know how you know how we bring this back together. Um, you know, I think one of the ways is that we have to be careful of of our our, our phrasing and our verbiage. Um, you know, brainwashing and deprogramming. Nobody is going to be receptive to what you have to say or meet, meeting you halfway if your, your premise is that you're starting that. Well, you're brainwashed, or you know, you need to be deprogrammed. Uh, that immediately causes people to armor up, to guard up. Um, and, and, you know, the reality of it is, is both sides thinks the other side has been brainwashed. The right thinks the left's been brainwashed by the mainstream media and the left thinks that the right's been brainwashed by, you know, Trump, Fox News, Bannon, all these other things. And so, you know, it's really difficult to to, uh, you know, find that 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 space in the middle where people can talk. 
but especially, and I think this is the main thing, is that, you know, until until the incentive structure changes, you know, as long as, you know, we, we are rewarding people who are creating uh, chaos, who are creating division and antagonism, as long as they are being rewarded for that and it is profitable for that, it is, uh, you know, their careers take off because of that, they're getting notoriety and attention. As long as that continues to happen, it's difficult to see that this is going to change because people follow uh, the, the the leaders and the, the their media sources that they trust, and yeah. if those media um, sources are are creating division, um, then the you know then it's going to trickle down into into the masses, and there's going to continue to be you know division. Yeah, no, I've always said that we need to stop the spread of disinformation. I mean, that's I think that's the first step, right? We need new laws around lying. Right now, watching all these. Uh, senators on television, not just media personalities, but senators saying, you know, I think the FBI has planted information. That that should not be allowed on national television. It should not be allowed to be someone of that position lying like that on national television. Well, it's, very, it's very irresponsible. What is really dangerous is, you know, Steve Bannon was on Alex Jones' show, I think it was yesterday, um, and he was saying how, you know, he's worried that the left is going to try to assassinate Trump. I mean, that is incredibly inciting. I mean, at, at, at a minimum level, that's inciting. Um, you know, the, 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 you know, the problem we have is, you know, we, we, we're constantly dismissing violent rhetoric and inciting language because it's like, well, it's just, you know, it's political speech. It's just people talking. But the problem is, is that when you're dealing with tens of millions of people, it only takes a fraction of 1% to be emotionally and psychologically unhinged to act upon that. And, you know, to be it's it's almost shocking at this point that we haven't had an assassination attempt. And when you have a guy like Bannon, who's got a huge, you know, huge audience, he's very influential. And he's, you know, he's talking about, um, you know, he thinks that somebody on the left is going to assassinate Trump. Well, it, one of the phrases that I use in my writings is preemptive retaliation. Well, if, if somebody, you know, if somebody is der- deranged or unhinged on the right and, you know, he thinks he or she thinks that uh, there's going to be an assassination attempt. Uh, well, maybe maybe they try to preempt that, or they try to head that off and 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 uh, commit preemptive retaliation. They're going to re- retaliate for something that hasn't happened yet, but preemptively. And you know, it's right now. You know, we're it's a political tinderbox, and all it, you know, all it needs right now is one spark to set this off and potentially go down a really bad course with political violence and maybe even civil war. I'm working on on a, on a piece I'm going to be writing about civil war and some possible. Uh, solutions to avoid that. But when I hear, you know, see stuff like what happened with Mar-a-Lago and what Bannon's saying, it, be, it almost be, it almost feels like it's, you know, the solutions feel quaint and almost uh, uh, obsolete at that point. Uh, you know, one of the things that I that I wrote about this morning is that, you know, often what we've seen on the right is projection, right? We've seen it with Trump where nearly every accusation or criticism is a confession or admission, right? We see that a lot with, with cluster B personality disorders, narcissism, sociopathy. And so when I hear Banning talking like that, and, and we see a situation where uh, the right is, is, is you know, lusting for um, the DeSantis regime to, to, to take over, the, the inevitability of the DeSantis regime, and you see a situation with Trump where with the January 6th hearings, you're seeing Trump supporters, are, they're almost looking for him you know, they're, they're, they're kind of, you know, questioning whether they want to support him again because they know they have DeSantis waiting, waiting in the wings. Well, if, if Trump is starting to become a, a political liability, um, he, right now he's already a martyr with the raid, right? So what would be the ultimate form of martyrdom, right? Is if somehow Trump went away, right? But it was believed or perceived that the left did it 
but but it didn't occur by the left, right? That would be the spark that would ignite the tinderbox of our of politics that could really create something bad. And just the fact that Bannon's saying something like that is is incredibly irresponsible and incredibly dangerous. Yeah, and he should be held accountable for it. The fact that he can be on Alex Jones's show at this point when Alex Jones was just held responsible for his lies is where we need to start. I think we need to get money out of politics so corporations and the ultra-rich can't do uh, buy Republicans to do their bidding or buy any politician to do their bidding. But we need a fairness doctor for the new millennium. We need truth and broadcasting laws and we need tougher slander laws because ultimately, like you said, we are a money-based society and lawsuits can help. But the fact that Alex Jones is still able to promote this kind of uh, dangerous rhetoric is something that is hurting the country. Um, and I think ultimately we can't be dissuaded by people threatening us with violence, right? Threatening us if we hold Trump accountable, threatening us if we hold any Republicans accountable. Um, the situation you mentioned before, it's exactly what you said. We find ourselves where we either hold a corrupt former president accountable for his crimes and risk violence from the right, or we allow this corruption to go unpunished and set a precedent that the president, whomever they are, is above the law. Both options are terrible, right? But like you said, if we're going to hurt the country, we should hurt the country by doing the right thing and holding a president accountable for his crimes and his enablers accountable for their crimes is what needs to happen. Otherwise, we spark a constitutional political crisis by not holding these people accountable, right? It's going to be bad anyway, so we may as well have it be bad by doing the correct thing and holding the rule of law accountable. Absolutely. I want to thank you for joining me today, Nick. Thank your you insight is essential. I think people should be reading your writing because we are facing something the nation has never faced before. And if people want to follow your work moving forward and get your insight for themselves, how should they do that? So I'm at Twitter at Nick underscore Carmody. And I have a Patreon site that is free. There's no paywall that I try to rewrite. Um, I, probably over a hundred articles. I try to rewrite every thread that I, that I write on there in article form. It's a little bit easier to read. And that is patreon.com backslash Nick Carmody. Yeah. And the Patreon account is actually amazing because Nick writes very long Twitter uh, threads and he puts them all together on the Patreon account to really get the full concept. And it's absolutely worthwhile reading. So thank you so much for your time, Nick. I really appreciate your insight and I hope you'll come back again and we can talk about this when maybe things are a little bit better. <laughs> Would love to. Thank you. So that was Nick Carmody, psychotherapist and lawyer, talking to us about the human behavior behind politics. Things are screwed up, but we can't fix something we don't understand. Knowing the why is the first step to giving people an off-ramp to a different choice. People seek purpose and belonging, and we need to convince them that they can find both away from this criminal authoritarian party and the violence and hatred they bring to America. I think we can do that, one law and one conversation at a time. I want to thank Nick for joining us today and you for caring enough about democracy to be here. Now go out and make the world a better place. Until next week... PG out. The Politics Girl podcast is written and performed by me, Lee McGowan, in partnership with the Midas Media Network and produced and edited by Happy Warrior Entertainment. All rights reserved.